Today we hear a parable about a rich farmer. He's a landowner who has a good crop. We don't know why, probably because he's a good farmer who works hard and learns from his mistakes. And this year, just as it is every so often, everything comes together. The weather, his timing, his years of good management, and he's had a great crop. He doesn't waste it or throw it away or plow it under. He builds bigger barns to store it so it can be used in the future. Now you could argue that he's greedy and should share his wealth with his less fortunate neighbors, that his hoarding is immoral. And it's a good argument, but we never actually are told that it, he is hoarding. He may well be, after all, we all know Ebenezer Scrooges, and I dare say each of us has a bit of old Scrooge in, within ourselves, that part of ourselves that just wants more for no other reason than we want more. The advertising industry feeds that part of each of us quite regularly, and so it tends to be an overly robust part of the American psyche. But we're not told that he's suffering from that kind of acquisitiveness. In fact, he appears to have reached a point where he is satisfied with what he has. What the grain and the goods he has gathered give him is a sense of self-sufficiency. And as long as they are safely tucked away in the barns, he feels safe too. What he thinks is he is his all in all. What we are told about the rich farmer is he's a fool. Wise management of resources, time, money, energy, materials, all of that, it's a good thing. But life is not static. No one stands alone and nothing is forever. You fool, God said to him, all these treasures you've accumulated, whose will they be? Do you think you can insure yourself against your own mortality? Do you think you can control everything with regards to yourself? Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book titled, When All You Ever Wanted Isn't Enough. And in it, he reflects on the book of Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes wonders what all his working and studying and striving is for. There seems to be no way to ensure that the good prosper and the dishonest are punished. He wants, you see, for the world to be just, but he keeps finding that it isn't. He seeks knowledge, gains wisdom, but still finds the foolish and the wise suffer the same fate. All eventually die. He's the one who cries out, vanity, all is vanity. Everything he tries to value and hold onto in his life is like vapor that disappears. Kushner says the author of Ecclesiastes eventually painfully, comes to the conclusion 
that although life is fleeting, nothing is sure. But at the same time, it does have value. And that there are three things that are necessary to a life well lived and faithfully lived. One, he says, is belong to people. The next is accept pain as a part of your life. And lastly, know that your life has made a difference for others. An interesting thing about the rich man in this morning's parable is that for a good part of it, he's the only one in the story. He talks to himself about himself and his barns, his stuff, his grains, his goods, his future. And how now that he is secure, he can relax. And then God breaks in and asks, who will all this belong to next? And suddenly, as we listen to the story, we become aware of all the others, the people involved in building those barns, harvesting the crops, living near or with the rich farmer, people he apparently hadn't even noticed. But whether he noticed or acknowledged them or not, he's connected to them and they to him. And some may even end up with a nice inheritance now that he's been called home. One of the great problems with the illusion of self-sufficiency is it tends to make us a bit wary of others. But the biologist Lewis Thomas says, popular science has it wrong when it proclaims the survival of the fittest as the fundamental law of nature. He says the principle of cooperation is primary in nature. Plants and animals flourish not through competition, but by living in such a way that whole ecosystems flourish. There was a recent article in the San Francisco Chronicle addressing some of the issues with thinning redwood forests, in part to mitigate fire hazards. But those trying to figure out how to do this are running into problems. It seems that the roots of the trees intertwine and one redwood tree stabilizes its neighbors all around. And not only that, but fungi living in the soil, that intertwines and forms a network with other fungi and with the roots. And that also carries water and carbon and nitrogen and other minerals that the trees need to live. Cutting down just some of the trees or even disturbing some of the soil around the base of the trees can result in unharmed, unplanned harm to the entire forest. It is the blowing of the spirit through all creation that brings life. By not noticing his life is intertwined with others past, present, and future, the rich farmer is missing a critical part of his life, and his soul withers. A few years ago, my daughter came to the house and wanted to spend an afternoon watching some videos with her father and I. 
We had a great time looking at old times. There was a lot of laughter. There were also some bittersweet memories. There were pictures of grandparents who have left us long ago. And those were pretty sweet pictures. But there was also footage of more than a few young people whose lives have been cut tragically short or who have been terribly damaged in some way. Some of the memories they brought back were so painful that we got to the point we decided it was time to put the videos away and into the cupboard they went and we shut the doors. Now, sometimes putting stuff away and shutting the doors is the right and proper thing to do. The story of Noah teaches us that when the flood waters rise, you'd better get in the boat and shut the door. There are times when that kind of protection is the only thing you can do to get through to the next day. And Noah also teaches us the virtue of being prepared, of putting aside something for a rainy day, much as the rich farmer did in today's parable. But abundant life is not found in sheltering behind doors or in living as if you can protect yourself from anything and everything. That day we put the videos away, we took a break, and then we brought them back out. And recognizing that we would still be experiencing some pain, we sat together and shared a few tears while remembering what a difference so many had made in our lives and finding a new great joy. I read a funny story a while ago about a company that manages databases. Apparently something went wrong with some software as they were migrating a list of contracts from one place, uh, contacts from one place to another, and some of the data was corrupted. One of the things that happened was that people who had been removed from the list because they were deceased began showing up again on active lists. It was the comment of one of the office managers that was so good. She said, we had people coming back from the dead, not our job. <laughs> it is not our job to be our all in all. It's something we cannot do. We can influence the future, but we cannot dictate it. There's a story of the Marquis de Lafayette, and after helping here during the American Revolution, he went home to his vast estates. By all accounts, he was a good farmer. And one year, there was a crop failure in much of his part of France, but he managed to fill his barns. Wheat prices in the area soared, and one of the workers on the estate said, time to sell. Lafayette replied, time to give, and he gave wheat to the herding peasants in the villages around him. We cannot be our all in all. Christ is that. What we can do is belong to people and to the whole earth. 
live in full awareness of our own mortality and continually build bigger the barns of our hearts. And in that way, 